When you hear the word heaven, what comes to mind for you? The classic pop culture image of heaven is of a place high up in the sky, populated by angels with wings on their backs, and people lounging on big, fluffy clouds, playing harps. Now, I'm not sure where that idea originated, but I don't think there are very many of us who find that very compelling of an image of how we want to spend eternity. Fortunately, it's not what the Bible teaches about heaven. It doesn't say anything about us lounging on clouds playing harps. I remember sitting in a Bible study not long after I had become a Christian, and the subject of heaven came up, and the teacher who was teaching the Bible study said something that filled my heart with wonder and excited my imagination at the time. He said that heaven would be the fulfillment of my favorite dreams and wonderful beyond my imagination. He encouraged me to dream about heaven. It would be far more than I could ever imagine. I would spend eternity discovering heaven and never reach its limits. You know, a similar idea is expressed in the final paragraphs of the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the book titled The Last Battle, written by C.S. Lewis. And I've shared this story before at funerals because it's such a great image and idea for us to get hold of when we are facing death and the life beyond. But in this, these final paragraphs, he describes the vastness of the life that we will have in heaven in comparison to this life. See, in the book, the children of the Narnia books and their parents are killed in some kind of railway accident that we're not given the details of at the very end of the book. The final paragraphs of the book, the very last paragraph of the book, it ends not with sadness over their deaths, but like this. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Imagine that every moment of the life that you have lived and you will live in this life are like the cover page and the title page of the life that you're going to live. When we cross from this life, we will then finally begin, begin chapter one of the great story. In this life, we have not even started the real story yet. That's a wild thing to, con to consider, don't you think? I mean, heaven will be this ever-expanding, ever-increasing wonder forever. C.S. Lewis was fond of referring to this world that we're living in here as the Shadowlands, making the point that heaven is the real lands. This is only a shadow of the greater reality. We each have a built-in longing for heaven, but we may not always recognize it as such. We mistake that longing as a longing for something else. We feel lonely, unfulfilled, bored, empty, hungry in our soul, and we try to satisfy that soul itch 
with relationships, achievements, recognition, adventure, accumulation of stuff. But that longing in our soul, it continues unsatisfied. Each of us have a longing in our soul that can only be filled by a personal encounter with the infinite, eternal, absolute God. We're more than biological creatures. Housed within this body is a soul that was designed and built by God to be in relationship with Him and dwell with Him in heaven. Now, we may feel a bit timid to talk about heaven, fearing that people will accuse us of having our heads stuck in the clouds all the time, or living in a dream world, or having a pie-in-the-sky attitude, or not really caring about what's happening in the world around us. There's an old saying that has been used many times to shut down people and try to bully them into not thinking and talking about heaven. You might remember it. It says, Beware of being too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. Is that statement true? I mean, can a person become so heavenly-minded that they are no earthly good? Well, according to the Bible, it's definitely false. In truth, the more we share God's perspective of this world, being heavenly-minded, the more valuable we become to this world. C.S. Lewis, again, understood this very well when he wrote, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. There are tremendous benefits or being heavenly-minded. Here are a few quick ones to consider. Thinking about heaven helps us to care more for what happens in this life because we know that everything done in this life matters. There's a purpose for our lives. A follower of Jesus, he doesn't say, I don't care what's happening to anyone in this world and what's happening in this life. Instead, we say, I care what happens in this life because I know that the investment of my time and energy in the lives of people in this world here and now counts for eternity. Looking forward to heaven helps us face difficulties in this life. We know that this is not the best it will ever be for us. We know that there is something far better waiting for us. We have an unquenchable hope. Thinking about heaven helps us to care less for the trinkets and the baubles of this world. We have treasure in heaven that is better than the best that this world has to offer. And it's an eternal treasure that won't perish, spoil, fade, or get taken from us. Looking forward to heaven helps us to live with our regrets in this life. A day is coming when everything will be healed and restored and made right. Everything will be forgiven. All of my failures and mistakes and sin will be forever removed. There will be no more sorrow or guilt or pain. Jesus said he is going to make everything new. 
Well, the Bible encourages us to set our thoughts on heaven. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 for a moment. Paul writes there, he says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In verse 17 there, Paul contrasts our light and momentary troubles with an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Think about this for a minute. People, they express the way they feel when they are deeply troubled as being weighed down or with a heavy heart and feeling like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders and so forth. Troubles and difficulties and trials are equated with weight and heaviness. But Paul, he takes and he flips that on its head. Troubles are described as light and momentary. Light meaning having no weight. Momentary meaning lasting for only a moment. And in contrast, the thing that is heavy, possessing tremendous weight, having great significance and huge importance, that which lasts forever is the glory that is ours waiting for us in heaven. Considering how much more amazing this eternal glory is in comparison to our present troubles, we're encouraged to fix our eyes on the unseen coming glory. That term, fix our eyes, it means to focus our attention on it, to continually give serious consideration to it. Or to say it another way, we are to be continually heavenly minded. Look at the rest of Paul's thought. See, the the chapter division is a bit unfortunate here because it causes us to stop reading at the end of 2 Corinthians 4.18, thinking that that's the end of the passage. But the first verses of chapter 5 continue Paul's thought. Look at this. For we know that if the heavenly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by, built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Our current body... This body that I'm living in, the body that you are sitting there watching this in, is called a tent to highlight the temporary nature of it. In contrast to this tent that we're living in right now, we have a building from God, an eternal house, a heavenly dwelling. This tent is not intended to be our forever home. This is just a temporary shelter for getting us to where we're headed. When we get home, we're going to move in to our eternal house. See, it's like we're on a camping trip of sorts in this life. Camping can be fun for a few days, living in a tent, but it isn't how I want to live indefinitely. 
I enjoy having indoor plumbing and hot water for a shower and a refrigerator to keep my food and a comfortable lump-free bed to sleep in and an HVAC system to keep my house warm in the winter and cool in the summer and all of the rest of it. Like it says in verse 4 here, he goes, while we are in this tent on this camping trip, we groan, looking for our heavenly dwelling, looking for our home. The contrast between what we are living now and what is waiting for us is so radical that Paul, he doesn't even call what we are doing now life. He refers to what is waiting for us as life. Verse 4, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Think of that. That what is mortal, what we're living now, is going to be swallowed up by what he calls life, real life. Like in that last chapter, in the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia. Real life begins on the other side, the first chapter of the great story who no one on earth has ever even read yet. God is pleased with those who are looking forward to dwelling with Him in heaven. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is often referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. The entire chapter talks about men and women of God who lived their lives by faith, trusting in the promises of God and looking forward to heaven. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, let's uh, read this passage. I should have been flipping over here instead of doing all this talking instead, huh? Hebrews 11.13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Back up in verse 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. These people... Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and countless others throughout the ages were still living by faith when they died, never having received the things promised while living on earth. And the reason is, is that the things promised, the promised land and all of the other wonders are not in this life. We can start to get depressed and think, the world is just passing me by. But these people would respond by saying, let this world pass me by. The promised land of God is far superior to anything that this world has to offer. I am looking forward to a better world. It takes faith to look forward to a better country, a better land, a better home. Hebrews 11.1 1, gives us a definition, a definition of faith as it's being used in this 
passage in Hebrews 11 when it says in verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. These people were certain of what God had promised them. They were so convinced about what God had told them that it was as if they had already received it, that they already had hold of it, that they were already experiencing it. The invisible was visible to them through faith. They had their eyes fixed on the unseen, the eternal glory, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4.18 that we looked at a moment ago. So they admitting, they were admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We're to live our lives on earth as sojourners, aliens, exiles, strangers, travelers, pilgrims, those on a camping trip. 1 Peter 1.17 says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Think about what it's like when we are a traveler. When we're traveling, we don't have the usual comforts and conveniences of home. We try to travel light. We take along just the things that we need for the trip. If I go on a weekend trip somewhere, I don't load up the living room couch and the dining room table and bring them along with me. I leave those at home. We're vulnerable to the elements. Good weather and bad weather are both a traveler's fare. We don't have the warmth and the shelter of our home. We have to learn to put up with inconveniences and unexpected challenges. When we're traveling, we don't start decorating the hotel room where we're staying. Why? Because it's not our home. We're travelers in this life. We're travelers in this life. Seeing our life that way can help us have a better attitude about the troubles that we face in this life and help us keep things in perspective and in balance. When we compare our life here to eternity, it's a very short trip that we're taking through this world. Psalm 39.4, the psalmist writes, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years are as nothing before you. Every one is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. When we finally arrive home from this trip, it will be indescribably wonderful. We have a permanent home prepared for us by the Lord himself. There's a, that passage in John 14 that we have read many times before where Jesus said, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I heard someone once make the observation that God created the world that we're living in right now in just six days. Jesus has been preparing our new home for some 2,000 years. Imagine how wonderful it's going to be. Verse 14 of that Hebrews 11 passage. 
So people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. They didn't consider this earth their permanent home, and they lived like it. Their treasure was in heaven, and that was where their heart was. Remember Jesus, what he said in Matthew 6, 19? He tells us, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These people, they thought it out of the question to return to a country that was inferior to the one they were heading for. They were not going back to the place that they had left. If you're a Christian, you have left your old country behind, your old life, and have started out on a journey to your new country, to the city whose architect and builder is God himself. Have you ever been tempted to go back to the old country? Don't be a fool. There's no comparison. Don't ever forget what the Lord has freed you from. A life of emptiness and depression and discouragement and guilt and destructive behavior and loneliness and absence of purpose and all of the rest of it. Verse 16 of this passage. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They desired and longed for God's country, heaven. Because of their attitude, their heavenly mindedness, their willingness to give up their old life here for a better one, it says God is not ashamed to be called their God and he has prepared a better home for them. Revelation 21, 21 says that the new Jerusalem will have streets made of gold. Your feet will be walking on the thing that the people of this world set their hearts on. Gold is going to be the pavement where you're going. Billy Graham said this about heaven. He said, heaven will be the perfection we have always longed for. All the things that made earth unlovely and tragic will be absent in heaven. There will be no night, no disease, no sorrow, no tears, no ignorance, no disappointment, no war. It will be filled with health, vigor, virility, knowledge, happiness, worship, love, and perfection. Let the hope of heaven encourage you as you travel through this life. This is not your final destination. Christian, you are going to be with Jesus Christ and live with Him forever. Now, Let me ask you, do you know you're going to heaven? To the heaven that we've been talking about today? See, maybe you've been listening along and you've been nagged with a question of not really knowing if you're going to heaven or not. Well, here's the bad news. You're not going to heaven if you are depending on your own determined efforts to be good enough to deserve it. You're not getting there. None of us are able to accomplish that. None of us deserve heaven. 
We're broken, damaged, sinful people. Every one of us. We're selfish and small-minded and insecure and we have all done shameful things. But here's the good news. God sent His perfect, beautiful, wonderful Son, Jesus Christ, into our world to live a perfect life among us and to show us what God is really like and then to die as a sacrifice for our sins and to come back to life on the third day, overcoming death for us. Our sins can be forgiven and our life redeemed through what Jesus Christ has done. He lived for our sake and He died in our place. We can have a new life with a new nature and a new future by trusting in what He has done rather than trusting in what we have done or keep trying to do. If you want to begin a new life in relationship with God through Jesus Christ and have the hope of heaven to look forward to, acknowledge and confess your need for forgiveness to God. He knows the truth about all of it anyway. The only person that you and I are ever fooling about denying our guilt is ourself. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standards. We haven't even lived up to our own standards, much less His. Recognize that Jesus Christ died for you and your sins. His sacrifice was to pay for your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ resurrected on the third day and is now living forever, interceding for you before God. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and begin growing His new life in you, making you like Himself. And then follow Jesus Christ with your life. Make Him your leader rather than yourself. You will have joined the journey with the rest of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We're not perfect yet. We each have a long way to go but we're confident in the one that we have entrusted our souls to. He's faithful even when we're not. And we joyfully look forward to that amazing moment when we will have changed in a flash and be with Him forever. 1 Corinthians 15.51 Listen, I tell you a mystery we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you that we have the hope of heaven. I pray that you would fill your people with a newfound joy and hope about the life that is waiting for them.
that it would fill them with a new kind of strength in this journey that we're on in this life. And Lord, finally, I, I pray for those today who have listened and they want to receive Christ for the first time in their life. I, I ask that you would just pray with me a very simple prayer in closing today uh, as an acknowledgement and to start this new life. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Forgive me for my sin. Remove my guilt. Come and live inside of me and change me. Make me into the person you want me to be. I'm going to follow you from this day forward with my life. Give me this hope of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.